It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. In my ongoing journey to manage my mental health, I've explored a lot of different therapies and modalities, experiments. One thing that Whitney and I are big proponents for is mindful and conscientious experimentation, whether that comes to one's physical health, one's mental health. Much like Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the more experiments you make, the better. I'm paraphrasing, but it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And in, in Whitney, you always point out how I love to to drop my Jason isms, some of which I create myself, some of which I gratefully borrow from others. And this past Sunday night, I met up with a, a healing practitioner here in LA, Whitney, that was recommended by my therapist, Gary, who I've mentioned in many previous episodes and how wonderful I think Gary is. And I have been talking to him and my primary physician, my primary care physician, Dr. Green here in Los Angeles about certain ideas for new mental health experiments, which led me to this recommendation for a woman named Marie, who I met with here in LA and had a wonderful three-hour conversation. And in that course of the conversation of discussing how best to work together, we touched on the subject of safety and death and how as human beings, we often compartmentalize conversations around safety or death because they're, I think in many ways, Whitney, they feel kind of taboo. And as we walk through life, I think there are a lot of situations where we sort of compartmentalize the dangers of what we're going through. We get in a car, most people who have automobiles get in a car every day, knowing the risks that when we drive something like an automobile or a motorcycle, there's a chance we could get into an accident. There's a chance you know, crossing the street in my neighborhood in LA, I could get hit by a car. We, I think our brains have this ability to sort of not think about the probability of death or danger or threats. We just go through our day and, and act like it may or may not happen. Well, anyway, this conversation around safety centered around childhood and inner child work and and how as adults we want to control a lot of our environment in our life to feel safe. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to feel safe in life. We have cars with seatbelts and airbags. We have alarm systems on our homes. We have gates in front of our houses. There's a modicum of wanting to feel safe as a human being in this world. But interestingly enough, through this conversation, I was exploring some of the ways that I I suppose, try to micromanage or try to over-control because I feel unsafe in life and how that's been tied to my childhood and the environment I grew up with. All of this is to serve as a kickoff point for a lot of the topics Whitney and I wanted to discuss today, which I, I think we're going to weave in. I don't know how we're going to weave them in, but prior to recording, we were kicking some concepts back and forth. Literally about five hours after I got home, I got home late on Sunday night after having this really great conversation. I went to bed and I started to drift off to sleep and I was sleeping really well. It was the first night in a while I had 
really felt like oh, I'm I'm not cognizant while I'm sleeping, but you know, it's like you know when you like lay down and you fall asleep right away. It's like okay, it's going to be a good night's sleep. Around one thirty in the morning, Bella, my dog, started to vociferously and incessantly start barking. And she's not the kind of dog that does that, period, especially not in the middle of the night. And I heard her barking and she just kept going and kept going. And I thought, this is unusual. She never does this. I need to get up. So I took off my sleep mask and I got out of bed and I noticed that there was this really crazy glow coming from behind my bedroom curtains. And I thought, at first, I thought it was like police, you know, how sometimes the police flashers like flash red. It was like a deep crimson red. And I thought, what the hell is going on here? So I get up and I, I hear all these popping noises and Bella's just going berserk. I go out of my bedroom door. Bella's absolutely freaking the fuck out. The cats are running. They're scared and hiding. I'm like, what is happening? So I come out of my bedroom and I go to my kitchen window and I look out at my kitchen window to the back alley and behind the alleyway, about 50 feet in back of the house that I live in is a neighbor's garage and the neighbor's garage is engulfed in flames to the point where some of the flames coming off the garage are probably 50 feet high. It was like something out of a movie, like backdraft. I have never in my life seen a fire raging like that. It was a level of terror and fight or flight that I've never experienced in my life. You know, the kind where so much adrenaline and so much cortisol is running through my body that initially I froze. And then after about five seconds of realizing it, I was like, I have to grab the animals and evacuate. So I grab my cell phone. I'm calling 911. I'm grabbing Bella to go out to my garage to grab the cat carriers to get the cat carriers in. And as I'm dialing 911, all of a sudden, water comes out of nowhere because I couldn't see any fire trucks. The flames were so massive. And as I'm connecting to 911, all of a sudden I hear, and all of this water comes and starts spraying my house and spraying the houses next to me. And I see these firefighters just, just deluging this garage. And it was this moment wit where I'm like, okay, am I going to go through with the evacuation plan? Should I stay here for a second and see how it goes? And I thought, I'm, I'm going to stay here for a minute before I load everyone in the car and, and drive away. I want to see if they can get this under control. So after about, I don't even know how long, it became pretty clear to me that the fire department, and I learned this later, had 26 firefighters putting this fire out. 26 men were there doing this. And there's all of this ash and smoke just billowing off of this garage. I mean, it was other than like, say, the main frame around the garage, it was burnt to the ground. And I gather on the street and all of the neighbors are on the street after the fire's put out. And is everyone okay? Is everyone accounted for? Are all the animals in the, okay? And no fatalities, no one's missing. That's good. The power lines were completely melted. I mean, the internet lines were completely just everything around. There was a palm tree right next to the garage, a healthy palm tree that is now charred ash. And it's one of those things where I've never up close seen that kind of devastation to a structure. You know, I've never been around a hurricane damage or, or that kind of flooding or a fire of this kind. And at the time of this recording, it was two days ago, and I'm still very much resetting my nervous system. 
I'm taking a lot of anti-anxiety supplements and respiratory supplements for all the smoke that I inhaled, because even though I had all the windows closed, you could still smell smoke inside the house. There's some damage to the house. There's a lot of other things I could say about this, but I think the main point, Whitney, is you know, for all of the precautions that we take in life to feel safe, to sort of mentally compartmentalize danger in our lives, we also, I think, need to realize and be really present to the fact that we can check out of here in any moment. We can die at any time despite our best efforts to protect ourselves, mitigate danger. And I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast because my mind is really fuzzy, but two weeks to the day prior to this garage burning to the ground, which they suspect it was arson, a 36-year-old man was shot and killed in the exact same spot in front of that same garage. So from what I've been talking to people about in the neighborhood, they suspect it was potentially linked, that whomever killed this young man may have lit that garage on fire to destroy any evidence. So it's been a really, really intense time in my neighborhood the past two weeks. And my focus right now is on trying to sort of find balance again mentally and neurologically and with my nervous system. Yeah, it's an image that will be imprinted on my consciousness forever because I've never, ever seen anything like that before. And as an aside, before I hear your thoughts on this wit, you know, it, it makes me think about all of the millions of acres of wildfires that have burned here in the West. And even though I'm blessed to have not lost my home and my fence caught on fire a little bit, but you know, it was okay here to think about the level of devastation that the fires are causing and all of the people who've lost their lives, the animals who've lost their lives, the people's homes that have burned to the ground. I'm nowhere near that, of course, because I'm safe and everyone's okay. But just to even get a glimpse of that, it's kind of like a horrifying wake-up call. That's really kind of like, I don't know, it, it just, it makes me realize the fragility of life and also how much I appreciate and I'm grateful for like the fact that, you know, everyone's safe and everyone's okay. My girlfriend's okay. I'm okay. The baby's here. The animals are okay. The neighbors, you know, I, I just, I'm still processing everything, you know, like it's still something that like really brings up a lot of emotions for me. The other thing too, you know, that was interesting when I was talking to the neighbors the next morning, cause I don't think anybody slept that night. I went back and, and was talking to one of my neighbors on the side of the house. And she said something to the effect of, you know, I, I've lived here for over 40 years of my life. This was my parents' house. They bought it in the 50s. I've lived in this neighborhood and on this block my whole life. And we were talking about the shooting and the murder. We were talking about the arson, the suspected arson. And she was like, you know, part of me wants to leave after all this that's happened. She's like, but I can't leave. I can't afford to leave. Even if we were to sell this house, the way that things are in the world right now, we literally can't afford to leave this neighborhood. And that got me thinking about privilege and wealth and capitalism and the fact that a lot of people who have their houses burned in a lot of the wildfires here in the West Coast the past few years who are wealthy people, who are privileged people, whether that's through the insurance money or their own cash, have been able to rebuild their houses or been able to move very easily. Whereas the neighbors in this neighborhood of what I've talked to, the woman is one, one example of people like, we think we want to get out of here. I mean, a, a murder and an arson in the same two-week period, people are freaked out in my neighborhood. I'm freaked the fuck out. Are you kidding me? I grew up in the city of Detroit, lived in the south side of Chicago, the Bay Area, LA for 15 years. I've never had a murder behind my house. I've never had an arson near my house. So, you know, mentally, 
and physically I'm not terrified something bad's going to happen, but it's just, it's shocking. But the point is, 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 you know, for people in areas who have the ability to just pick up and leave and buy a house somewhere else or move, like they can do that. The neighborhood that I'm in is classified as a lower income neighborhood. And it's like, even if you want to leave for some of the people here, they don't feel like they can. And that just brings up a lot of emotions. That brings up a lot of interesting perspectives around, like I said, wealth, privilege, opportunity cost, and how many people must feel to some degree or another, Whitney, kind of locked into their life situation without the ability to have much choice. Because to her point, even if they sell the house, the housing market in Southern California is so psychotic right now, where would they move to? Even if they got the money, they don't feel like they have any option. So she was crying and she was upset. It was, it's just been a lot of heartbreaking conversations, but I kind of feel the same way. You know, it's like, I've had this thought of, well, I should just fucking move. It's way too intense. It's crazy here. But like, you know, friends have been like, you need to move. I'm like, where? Out of state. Yeah. I've talked about that in previous podcasts, but to move somewhere else in LA right now, there's no point for me to do it. So it's not that I feel stuck, but I'm just observing how many people do feel stuck based on their economic situation and the dynamics of wealth and the wealth disparity in the world right now. And I think this fire has really highlighted that in my neighborhood. You're touching upon an important privilege that I don't know is addressed often enough, and that's the privilege of freedom and options and not feeling trapped. And that's something that I think I've taken for granted that I don't feel trapped. And I feel like I can, because I'm unmarried and I don't have kids and I'm fairly financially stable and I'm white and relatively young and on and on all these privileges it's easy for me to say, oh, just go do this. But for a lot of people, I mean, you included, Jason, just something as simply as having all those animals, that it's not that easy. You know, you could, I guess, in a desperate situation, like if you truly needed to, you would figure it out. But it's like that weird in-between where things aren't so bad or so urgent that you're not going to make some reactionary decision or big move unless you literally have to, you know, but for people that are unhappy or scared or traumatized or whatever, but that in itself is not enough to like cause drastic measures, or perhaps it's really true that they're, the options are very limited. You know, it sounds like your neighbors, because the first thing that went through my head is, well, I imagine if they sold their house that they'd be able to find someplace else in the country, but we don't know if they even have the option of leaving. I didn't mean to say the country, I meant (laughs) the state, but even so, that in itself, even leaving a city is a privilege because it could depend on a lot of different factors, why you might need to stay or why it's way too challenging to leave. And I've been thinking about often, Jason, how you want to leave Los Angeles And I support you in that, but I also think it's important to realize that it's not going to be an easy thing. I mean, you know, there's so many factors involved, even just to your point, moving to another place in 
the same area or nearby is challenging. But to go to a whole new place, it's starting over. And not everybody has the privilege of that being easy because of all of these different factors. And sometimes I feel like not guilty about my privileges, but almost something like that where I guess I just feel fortunate. And But having that fortune is like a little uncomfortable when you recognize that not everybody has that, right? Because for me, based on all the factors I I listed, like I can make all sorts of decisions, you know, and there's pros and cons, right? We've talked about in other episodes, the pros and cons of specific relationships and jobs and whether or not you have children, all these other factors that the reasons that people make it. But I don't know, it's just, it's kind of a weird state to be in, I suppose, when so many people around me, like seem or feel trapped or limited or unable to have some of those choices. To be honest, I can only understand it from hearing about their experiences, but I just, I can't relate to it because I'm not going through it. And I think that's part of what makes it so challenging. I think what this has done for me is reflected on people who live consistently in environments where their safety and their lives are literally threatened all the time. I know it's apples to oranges because I don't live in a place like Afghanistan or a war-torn country that is consistently mired in violence and, and uprising or to a degree going back to my hometown, Detroit. You know, Whitney, I was talking to my mom when the fire happened and, and you know, I said it was interesting because we grew up in the city of Detroit, not the suburbs. And we didn't live in a particularly violent or dangerous neighborhood, but it was still the city of Detroit. And in the 70s and the 80s, for many years, it was it was the murder capital of the country, the United States, for many years. We were aware of that living there, you know, as a child, like you'd hear that in the news, like Detroit's, they called it murder city in the 80s. But even so, you know, even on my block, we never had a murder. We never had a shootout. We never had drive-bys. And furthermore, for anybody who wants to hear a little tidbit about Detroit lore, for decades and decades, all throughout my childhood and teen years, it abated, I think, in the last decade a bit. There was something called Devil's Night. And Devil's Night was Detroit's name for Halloween Eve, the night before Halloween. And for some reason, I don't know why this started, but every single Halloween Eve, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of arsons, people lighting houses on fire all throughout the city of Detroit. And you were terrified every Halloween Eve wondering if someone was going to come and set your house on fire. What this makes me think of is the people who live in neighborhoods and areas who are not just in the U.S., but across the world, Whitney, who are daily wondering if they're going to get shot or their houses will get set on fire, or militias will come and rape and kill them. I mean, this is a very real thing that is happening on planet Earth to many people. And so even my proximity to the murder and the arson over the last two weeks in my neighborhood has given me a perspective on just, and gratitude isn't the right word, it's just, it's a widening of my perspective and compassion for the people who are dealing with facing this kind of danger and threat all of the time. And how, how many people walking through this world never know what it's even like to even be near that. It's kind of just simmering in me, you know, that, that perspective shift inside of me. 
you know, it's also made me think about going back to the conversation around privilege and freedom and opportunity. I was talking to an acquaintance of mine in a business meeting, and he was explaining to me his brother is uh, moving currently from Portland to Austin. And he told me that the moving cost of just to get like, you know, like a rental truck or those pods that you fill up and you use to move from Oregon to Texas was over $4,000 just for those pods, right? So if we think about, again, people who are in a space of low opportunity, lesser privilege, in a lower income situation, even if they want to leave, like you said, and perhaps go out of state or go to a different place in the state, just to move in some cases is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, let alone finding a new property, security deposit, down payment, whatever the case may be. So it's a lot to reflect on. It's a lot to reflect on just looking at the inequality in this world and the people who have massive amounts of wealth, privilege, opportunity, and the billions of people who do not. I don't know what the hell to do about it because it seems that, you know, late stage capitalism is kind of this juggernaut that is just consuming everything in its path. I stumbled on a Reddit thread today, which we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. Our website is the main hub for everything. Episode show notes, all the resources, anything we mention in this podcast will be at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in this Reddit thread, Whitney, God, I sent you one of the posts. It's just an a mind-boggling and eye-opening array of threads around the predatory disparities of late-stage capitalism. And one of the posts was a guy who posted on TikTok who is a real estate investor. He looks like a young guy, maybe in his 20s or 30s, in a very fancy car. And he's talking straight to camera saying he's in Jacksonville, North Carolina, going to buy 100 foreclosed houses, 100 houses, and that the total value of the property is $10.5 million. He's going to put down 15%, so like 1.5. He's talking about all of it. And then he goes on to say, the people who are occupying the houses, I'm going to kick them out and replace them with Section 8 low-income tenants. I'm going to kick out the people I'm buying the houses from, these 100 houses, because basically, fuck them. I want to make money and get my government kickbacks and extract as much value as possible out of this deal, because who cares about humanity? And I think that that is kind of this rampant mentality that is going through this world of, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to extract the maximum amount of value out of my employees, out of people, out of the resources, out of the earth, and who gives a shit? And it's sad. It's sad because in the real estate market, that very much is the attitude as the mortgage moratoriums are lifted and as the renter protection moratoriums are lifted, people are getting evicted and people with all of the resources and money are coming in and swooping in and buying shit tons of real estate and not giving a goddamn about families or people or their displacement or where they're going to find housing. It's just about maximizing profit, increasing your portfolio, and who cares about the effect on actual human lives. It's really, really sad. We'll link to that video in the show notes if you want to throw up on yourself because I almost did. But this is not an unusual outlier situation, Whitney. There, This is happening all over the place. And I don't know what the hell the solution is, but it's just horrifying to witness this happening. It's just this kind of predatory capitalism is taking advantage of so many people and the housing market specifically, because that seems to be kind of the theme that we're touching on today. You also sent me a um, TikTok video, since we're on the subject of TikTok videos, of a young lady who's been posting about, how do I even characterize it? 
a perspective shift in how we engage with mental health and therapy. And you've actually sent me several of her videos over the past few months, and I've always found them to be really intelligent, really thought-provoking, and putting a different spin on, I suppose, some of the phrases or some of the concerns that people bring up in, in psychotherapy regarding burnout, regarding feeling overwhelmed, regarding feeling like they are completely out of inspiration and completely exhausted. And I think it's interesting, and I'm curious if she just kind of popped up on your thread randomly or if you were looking for like mental health content, because I'm, I'm curious, Whitney, like where you discovered her because she's been bringing some really interesting perspectives to the table. How would you characterize like her perspective on things? Because I'm, I'm struggling to like summarize it a little bit. You know, to be completely transparent, my brain is a bit zapped right now, so I don't have a good answer for you either, Jason. Maybe we should discuss it another time. I mean, the summary that I took away from it, which in this moment, don't know if it fully covers it, is more along the lines of how when somebody is struggling, it's really easy to kind of give them formulaic all-encompassing, one-size-fits-all advice, which to the point I think that that fits into this conversation is a, a lot of things are complicated. And just because they're easy for you or you're not experiencing them doesn't mean that it's the same case for somebody else because other people can be struggling and handling things differently because of their mental health and their economic situation and their home life and their career. I mean, all these factors. So it's not as simple as like in your case, Jason, oh, you know, it feels like you could have two broad statement choices, which is like, oh, don't worry about it. You're fine. Like you're not going to be affected and kind of like have this cognitive dissonance and, and like pretend like you're safer than you actually feel. Or the advice could be, well, you should just move. <laughs> and like, it's very tempting and very common for people to say those things. And so when I was watching that video, that was my main takeaway. There was a lot more to it that in this moment, I don't recall. But my takeaway was that there's so much more that each individual is going through and and up against. And for us to just have this like blanket statement solution just to make ourselves feel better by sharing it is disregarding all of the challenges that that individual is facing and how complex the situation is for them, given those factors. Well, that was a brilliant summary. Thank you. I think it is tempting to want to give out sort of cliche advice or sort of panned responses. I think sometimes it's done out of the best intentions. I think people want to help. I think they intend to help, but they don't understand the intricate dynamics of a person's, as you said, personal situation. And I'm not going to use this term flippantly because I don't know if it's completely accurate, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned being here after what has happened over the past two weeks with the shooting and the fire that I'm going to be experiencing some level of PTSD around these events. And I feel in a way I'm, I already am. I, again, I'm not a clinician. I'm not here to diagnose myself. But I find myself waking up in the middle of the night, like to any noise or any kind of thing of like, what the fuck is that? Because 
it's like this subconscious threat now of like, oh, it could be a gunshot. It could be fire. What the hell is going to happen next? What in the hell is going to happen next? You know, it's sort of this thing now that will moving help to alleviate that? It might. Maybe I have this association now that I'm not in a safe neighborhood. It's not safe to be here anymore. I'm sure that is. I don't I don't even need to, to pontificate. Like, I know that that's what's happening is I don't feel safe here anymore. And I want to get the hell out. But I don't know where I'm going to go yet because I haven't found a place I want to move to yet. You know, I've talked about my girlfriend, Laura, and I going up to the, the Pacific Northwest and exploring that. We haven't done so yet. So just to move to another location in LA and then move again, I have no desire to do that, to move an entire house full of stuff and five animals to a place and then move. Like it's a bit of a catch 22 because I don't want to be here. I don't feel safe here. I am experiencing some PTSD after shooting and fire, but until I know where I'm going to go, I don't feel like it makes sense to move just to move. But it is interesting to think about, you know, the psychological effects of being near a violent event. I was not in the fire. I was not there or even had a gun pointed at me. I was not the person shot, but it was literally from my kitchen window 50 feet away. Like that's close enough for me to have a nervous system reaction and a psychological response of feeling like, I don't know if I feel okay, like walking around my property at night anymore. I don't know if I feel okay walking through my alley, whether or not those are rational fears. I feel it. And it is to say though, too, right? I think we go back to one of my original points, Whitney, about how as humans, we try to mitigate danger. We try to somehow protect ourselves or shield ourselves from violence and threats. So like moving to a, quote, better neighborhood, I'm doing air quotes, if anyone's not watching this on YouTube, right? It's like, I, I want to move my family to a better neighborhood with a better school system, blah, 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 blah. Well, does violence happen in a place like Malibu? Sure. Does it happen as much as a place like where I live in Boyle Heights or Compton? No, of course it doesn't. But the idea that we are going to live behind a gate in our sheltered, privileged life with our millions of dollars in our giant SUVs, with our security teams and our handgun, like we have this obsession, I think, as human beings with like, nothing can harm me, nothing can kill me, I'm protected and safe. But on a certain level, it's kind of an illusion. It's, it is real, okay? Like, your chances of having something, quote, bad happen to you in a better neighborhood, yeah, there's logic and statistics to back that up. But it doesn't prevent you from experiencing a violent event. Rich people get carjacked and shot all the time. Rich people get kidnapped all the time. Bad shit happens to privileged people, too, in spite of their alarm systems and their gates and their firearms and their dogs and their armored SUVs and their fucking mansions, right? It's, so it's an interesting game we play as humans. But I think for me, it's just this visceral experience of, yeah, I could fucking die at any time from being shot, being stabbed, being in a fire, being run over, God knows what. And it's not like I'm going to meditate on death every day because that's kind of morose and I don't want to do that. But this is, in a weird way, Whitney, kind of a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to safety. It's a wake-up call to death. It's a wake-up call to privilege. It's a wake-up call to freedom. I, it, there, there's a lot that, I don't know, I'm still unpacking all of it. And so if I sound, sound a bit scattered to anybody, it's because I'm still a little bit fucked up. You know, like I'm exhausted and I've had very little sleep and I just, yeah. So if I sound incoherent, it's because I am. <laughs> I don't know. I just still feel kind of like a little bit traumatized from the whole thing. And I don't use that word lightly. I feel I feel mentally traumatized by it. Well, you're certainly in an uncomfortable spot, you know, and just yeah, 
speaking about that openly is really important. It's a vulnerable thing. And it's also a way to connect because for anyone else who's experienced this, Jason, or has been thinking about it, or even can relate to that feeling of being trapped, traumatized, confused. It's exhausting. You know, and I'm sure, Jason, for you, it's this on top of everything else. And I'm curious if that's leading you to feel a bit numb to an extent, because this is something that I've heard a lot of people online expressing is that they are just like, all right, here's another thing, especially millennials, right? Like there's a lot of reference to millennials because millennials were at such an impressionable age during 9-11, for example. And like I've seen a theme of TikTok videos of millennials saying like, when you're a millennial and you've experienced all the first, this is the worst that it's ever been type of disasters over and over again at a certain point, it's like you feel numb to it because you've gone through so much. You you don't even have the strength to react anymore or you become used to feeling trapped or used to feeling scared or used to all of this. And then the barriers, the walls that you have to put up within yourself to get through the day is a lot because maybe you feel like if you were to actually feel it, you would be overwhelmed by the sadness and the fear and maybe life would start to feel hopeless because you've experienced so much of it, you know? And I, I think that's something that a lot of people are experiencing. And I wonder too, like even when I was just now reflecting on my lifestyle, it it's possible that it's a trauma response or a coping mechanism to not be married and not have kids and not own a home. And like, basically I feel like I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I'm not quote trapped or weighed down by anything. It's like, you know, that appeal also psychologically, there, there might be a correlation between the rise of van life, the popularity of that. It's like, do people just want to work for themselves remotely, be on the road all the time, not own a home, not, you know, it's like, it's a lot of young people, often couples, but a lot of young people without kids just living out of a a car so that they're not, they don't feel trapped at all. Like, is that going to be a big theme? Uh, Clearly, the growing desire to work remotely and work for ourselves, run our own businesses. Like, I think a lot of that is, is in a way, a a generational trauma response. It's like, I don't want to be unhappy or I don't want someone else to control me or, you know, all of these things that we're doing to try to fend for ourselves and feel safe. It's even if you can't directly relate to your situation, certainly something to reflect upon because there, there's kind of like different extremes to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You talked about numbness. I don't feel numb per se. I feel absolutely exhausted mentally and physically right now. And it's not just the impact on my nervous system and my physiology from the terror. And I, it was, when I say this literally, you know, 
looking out the kitchen window and seeing 50 foot high flames and a structure that is right behind my backyard. It was terror. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever felt that level, like I said in the beginning, of a fight or flight, immediate flooding of my body of that much kind of adrenaline. And yeah, you know, cleaning up the debris and giant chunks of the garage were in my backyard and spending two days ago this past Monday, you know, just, you know, cleaning up <laughs> just the entire backyard. I don't feel numb. I'm just, I feel like I want to go sleep for like two weeks and just not do anything. I just feel like I want to cocoon myself in like a hyperbaric chamber and just rest. But I can't do that. A, because I don't know anyone who has a hyperbaric chamber. But two, there are responsibilities I have chosen in my life that need to be tended to. And so it's the challenge of recovering from a traumatic event while still maintaining one's life and the responsibilities a human being has chosen. You know what I mean? And, and that, that again goes back to privilege, right? If you're a person who has massive wealth and privilege and, and money and service people, you can say, fuck it, I'm going to take two weeks off and, you know, go to a retreat in Cabo and get massages. And, and, you know, I'm not denigrating rich people. I'm just saying there's a massive disparity when you have something traumatic that happens and you have to just keep living your life and keep managing your life and you don't have the luxury to take off and say, fuck it. And so I'm trying to manage this feeling in my body where I do not want to do anything. I'm so depleted yet. I still need to maintain my life. And I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to figure it out and how to recover and find balance again, you know, after an event like this, it's really challenging and it's kind of, I don't know. It's making me really sit and reconsider a lot of things in my life and what the hell I want to be doing and what the fuck am I focusing my time and energy on. I think that's the benefit of death meditation, Whitney, and not in the morose way, but in a beneficial way is like, yeah, if I could die in a fire or get shot or God knows what, what am I actually doing here? What am I doing spending my time here? What am I focusing on? What's, what's actually important? And that probably sounds like an offshoot of a lot of things people might be considering in a pandemic world. I think a lot of people have been reconsidering their lives and their livelihoods and what the hell they are focusing their time and energy on. But to me, this just feels like it's accelerated it for me. It's really accelerated the idea and the consideration of, of what am I doing? I don't know. I feel like this is going to be something that I need to sit with and marinate for a while. Because like I said, it was only 40, a little over 48 hours ago that this fire happened and, uh, when I walk outside, I have to, I have to wear a mask. I mean, it's kind of, it's like, oh yeah, we're in a pandemic. Well, that's a good thing because it smells like burnt giant pieces of wood around my house. Right. So it's like, oh, the mask is coming in handy. I'm curious, you know, for anyone who is listening or watching this on YouTube, however you're consuming this podcast, if you have been through something traumatic or shocking that has created an opportunity for you to reframe and re-envision your life. We always love to hear from you and your perspectives on the subjects and topical matter we cover here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. I'm obviously in an extremely uncomfortable spot, trying to mentally and physically recover from what has happened here in my neighborhood the past two weeks. And yeah, it, it would be great to hear from you if this has resonated with you. I really feel like I, I want to hear from people and hear your perspectives. Maybe that's a little selfish for my own comfort, but I think through sharing each other's stories, there is deep comfort there, and there is deep perspective being shared when we can openly and lovingly speak about what we've been through. 
So if you feel moved by this episode or it resonates in some way or you want to share your story with us, you can email myself and Whitney directly. It's hello at wellevator.com. Again, our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can DM us on any of the social platforms. We're at Wellevator. Instagram is probably where we have the most direct messages. So reach out to us if you have any perspectives, stories, things you've survived and recovered from, because I know that it would be really wonderful for us to receive that and, and for me to hear how you have navigated something in your life like this. With that being said, we will be back with another episode soon. Again, our new format that we've been doing recently is uh, solo episodes with myself and Whitney on Mondays, and our guest episodes are on Fridays. And we also have our private podcast, This Hits the Spot, which is a lot lighter than the subject matter we covered today, where we review our favorite products and resources, books, services, things that Whitney and I are really excited about. And you can subscribe to our newsletter at wellevator.com or support us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month to get access to our private podcast and learn about all our favorite things in the world. Speaking of which... I really need to nourish myself uh, because I've felt pretty sick to my stomach and slowly getting my appetite back. So thanks for holding space, Whitney, and creating an opportunity to share this story today because it was really fresh and I, I felt like I wanted to share it today and put it in a larger social context around everything we talked about with privilege and wealth, opportunity, freedom. It's, um, it's a thick sandwich. So until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us, and we will be back with another episode soon. We appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.